Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King. We're glad that you're here, especially on a long weekend. Thanks so much for taking an hour of your weekend to come and hang out with us. We hope that it'll be encouraging and, uh, and kind of point you in the right direction. At the center of every single church is a committed core of people who are committed first to Jesus Christ and his mission, committed to the family of God that gathers around Jesus in whatever location they happen to be in, and also are committed to reaching those who are far from God. That's the core in the center of every church. And this committed core of people, they love Jesus so much that their goal is to actually have other people experience the same grace that Jesus has extended to them. It was a Friday night after a very long week of ministry in the inner city of Los Angeles. He used to be a youth pastor, used to take high school kids into the inner city of LA and work on Skid Row for weeks at a time because I knew how transformative it was for each and every one of us. On that last night of the trip, I found this group of kids processing, thinking, crying, and then in a moment that I can't even really go back to explain to you, they began to give. Someone opened up a guitar case, just kind of stuck it in the middle of the group, and, and kids just started sharing a part of themselves. One kid named Tyler took a basketball because he'd been playing street ball with kids on, on Skid Row all week long, and, and he took the basketball and, and he put it in the guitar case because he wanted to leave it behind for, for, for kids to continue to do what he had enjoyed doing with them all week long. Another kid took his wallet and emptied all of it, all of the money he was going to use to spend on food on the way back home again. He emptied his wallet completely because he'd spent the week interacting with people and kids sometimes who only got to eat once a day. So he went without food all the way home because God had just touched him deeply in that way. Another kid took off his shoes, put his shoes in the guitar case because he'd met Person after person after person on Skid Row who couldn't even afford to put shoes on their own feet. As a pastor that night, I have never been so unbelievably proud of a group of kids. I was so touched with them. What, what had been working inside of their heart that made them actually live that kind of sacrifice? It was one thing. It was compassion. It was compassion. They saw a need and they couldn't sidestep around it. They couldn't step over top of it. I mean, they literally had to go and move in towards the need because they had been so touched. We'd spent the week working in after-school programs, working with churches, working with feeding programs, and we were so unbelievably touched because needs were put right in front of us and we just couldn't sidestep them, couldn't turn a blind eye. They couldn't take the easy route around somebody else's pain. They had no choice, so they were compelled to do something, something. They were living out the virtue of compassion. 
The Bible describes a moment when, when Jesus is being questioned by a group of religious lawyers. and It wasn't uncommon in this culture for, for, for teachers to be publicly questioned about their belief system. So Jesus isn't freaked out or thrown off when, when this religious lawyer comes and begins to ask him a question. He represents a group of people known as Pharisees. Jesus and the Pharisees had a contentious relationship all through the New Testament. The main issue between Jesus and the Pharisees was that Jesus said, what's going on on the inside of you is not what's happening on the outside of you. They're not compatible. Jesus called them out one time. He called them whitewashed tombs. He said, on the outside, you look pristine, but on the inside, there's nothing there but death because they had exchanged a relationship with God for, for religion. It was all about the activity. Here's why I think Jesus had an issue with these guys. They were representing God, and they got God's brain, but in getting God's brain, they completely missed God's heart. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the greatest distance in the universe is the distance between the brain and the heart. That 18-inch drop, that is a huge distance. This group of religious people, they were latched onto the what and the how of religion, but they totally forgot about the why, and they were trying to get it right, but the problem was they weren't doing it for God's glory, they were doing it for their own glory, so they became self-appointed spiritual police, they named themselves as the fourth member of the Trinity, they became the Julie, junior Holy Spirit in charge of rules and regulations. And here's what happens. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So get the picture in your mind. There's a real need right in front of these men, but they can't get their hands dirty, so they walk on the other side of the road. So there's a real need in front of them. Let's imagine there's a real need in front of us, not a fake need, a real one. We always have to be cautious and use wisdom when it comes to having these kinds of conversations because I don't want to encourage irresponsibility. There are times when you need to use discernment when it comes to a need being right in front of you. At the last church that I served at before I came to Christ the King, there was a knock at the door of the church one morning and I saw as I walked outside there was a man standing there, he had a cast on his leg. His daughter was standing beside him. She had a dirty t-shirt on. Their car looked like it was filled with all of their earthly goods. They said they'd been traveling through the area and they needed gas and food. They said they hadn't eaten for days. And I was moved by their plight. I mean, I was moved. So we did what we could. We gassed up their vehicle. We bought them food. We gave them money for their journey. And they were so thankful. We prayed together in the parking lot that day. And then I went upstairs. My office was on the second floor of the main complex, and I looked down through the window as I watched this father and his daughter take everything that we'd given them, and then I watched the dad peel the Velcro cast off of his leg, 
throw it in the back of the car along with his crutches, toss a clean t-shirt, brand new, across to his daughter, and they turned around, smiling and laughing as they drove off with all of my compassion, leaving behind a, a physical gesture involving a hand and one finger. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I got taken. I was moved by a need, but I got taken. Jesus is talking about a real need right here, one that we can't sidestep. Two religious men walk by, both choose to step around the need and continue on their way. Here's what's heartbreaking. One of them's a priest, a person who was supposed to, connected to, to be connected to the heart of God, who was supposed to move with the rhythms of what God told him to do. The second was a Levite, a person who was one of God's chosen vessels to carry out worship and his mission. But they both got caught up in their own humanity, and instead of meeting a need, they made a decision to just pass by on the other side. Both of these religious men would have had in their minds some rules that said you're not allowed to touch that particular person because they're, they're unclean. You don't want to defile yourself. Basically, these men of God didn't want to get their hands dirty in the messiness of human life. Here's the point. Indifference is the conscientious decision to sidestep an authentic need. That's what indifference is. And let's be honest, indifference comes in all shapes and sizes. We've probably said some of these things ourselves. I know I certainly have. Indifference talks like this. I don't have time. It's not my problem. I'm late. I have to get to church. I can't look after that need. Someone else will surely do something. Indifference prays this way. Jesus, send somebody else to meet that need. Surely they need it to be met. I just don't have the time to do it. Indifference prays, God, I know that you put the need right here in front of me, but I can't. So I'm just going to pass on the other side. I'm not in, I'm out. That's what it says. Indifference comes in all shapes and sizes, but it always ends the same way. We get stuck in good intentions, but we ultimately do nothing. I can't get these religious guys out of my mind because I can so relate to them. I grew up as the rule keeper, went through all different kinds of phases in my relationship with Jesus. If you need to go back, you may want to review that message when I talked about all the different ways in which I've related to Jesus. But I'll tell you what, the one that's the most painful for me was the season I went through when I was just religiously connected to Jesus. It was all about the rules. It was about doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons and just checking the boxes and making sure that I was performing for God. I can so relate to these guys because I grew up thinking that that's how it was supposed to be. That that's how it went when it comes to God's family and how we connect to new people and their needs and how we invite them to be a part of the family. Because here's these religious guys. They have an opportunity to meet a need and welcome somebody into the family and they just completely miss it because they walk on the other side of the road. And what gets in the way? Here's what's heartbreaking. It's their religion that gets in the way. Here's what religion says. Religion says to everybody, you better behave. You better behave. You better fall in line. You better act like us, talk like us, think like us. You better do this and don't do that. Check the right boxes. And before you get to even think about being a part, you better clean yourself up just a little. 
You better take that shower before you get in the bathtub of God's grace. You need to clean yourself up. You need to, in order to be one of us, you better act like one of us. And you have to act in a way that we deem fit. And once you've instituted the appropriate level of behavior modification, then we're going to tell you what to believe. Okay, this is what religion says. We're going to tell you what to believe. And there's no room for questions or challenges. You just need to believe this set of prescribed beliefs which deal much more with behavior than the actual heart of God. You need to believe it as we lay out, check all of the right boxes, and then and only then will we let you belong. You see that? That's what religion says. Religion says you better behave, then we'll tell you what to believe, and then we might consider allowing you to belong. You might have an opportunity to be in until you act out, and then we'll kick you out. That's what religion says. Because ultimately, we don't have room for you when you're messy. Religion says, you must have done something to deserve your plight. So we've got no room for you because you're just a little too messy. So we don't have room for you as a wound, as a person, or as a project. Religion seems a little distasteful, doesn't it? You know, one of the things that I love about CTK, we don't do religion. We don't do religion here. We don't do things for the sake of religious activity. We actually want to engage in things purposefully, so we're doing all the right things for all of the right reasons. I was a little freaked out when I showed up in this place almost 17 years ago because I realized that they'd flipped the order of this whole thing over completely. If you need somebody to blame for the way we act around here, you can blame Jesus. He'll take responsibility, okay? Jesus seems to do this differently. In fact, the biggest criticism of Jesus in the New Testament is that he had the audacity to be a friend of sinners. I've got a question for you. Anybody else in the room unbelievably grateful today that Jesus has room in his heart to be a friend of sinners? Anybody else? Anybody else? I mean, he got his hands dirty. In the sins of the world, that's the very heart of God. And instead of this religious approach, Jesus seemed to model a different order. Jesus always approached people with relationship, whether it was the woman at the well or people that he met along the way or even the Pharisees. He kept reaching them saying, don't get all caught up in this religious stuff, just be a part of the relationship. Because religion, once again, says behave, believe, and then you get to belong. Relationship says something different. Relationship says you actually get to belong first. Bring your mess, bring your questions, bring your pain. Come and hang out. Let's walk the journey together. It says belong. So that's just what this means for us. Here's the implications. We want to make a place in our church and in our lives for people who are far from God, and we want to actually make that the priority. Why? Because we want them to experience the same kind of grace that we got to experience. So we open up the door, and I'm going to tell you something about it. It's messy. It's messy. Because people are messy. I know you don't want to admit it, but you're messy. Can I tell you something about me? I'm messy. You get inside here, you don't believe me, ask my wife. I am a messy human being. So we invite people to come and belong, join the journey, be a real person, belong, and then without, without apology, we do want people to believe. That's the agenda. But we want, don't want people to believe in what we're up to. We want people to believe in Jesus. We want people to have their lives transformed by Jesus. Because guess what happens? When people are transformed by Jesus, they begin to act differently. They begin to behave. Now be careful with that word. 
Because we're not asking people to fall in line with the way we act. We're asking them to fall in line with how Jesus acts. Which means ultimately it's not about acting like us. It's about acting like Jesus. To be in step with him. Talk like him. Think like him. Act like him. And reach out to others who are just like us. So they can get to know Jesus. People get so hung up in the behavior. In fact, I run into this at least once a year. Somebody will come tap me on the shoulder and they'll go, Hey Grant, pastor, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, okay, what do you need to talk about? Did you know there's ashtrays out in the front of the church? And I go, yeah. Isn't it great? And they're like, what? I'm like, okay, let me give you the official position. We don't believe smoking will keep you out of heaven. In fact, it'll get you there a whole lot quicker if you keep doing it. Just saying, okay? <laughs> Just say that, right? And I say, so here's the deal. You need to know this. We're all in process and we're all on a journey. And they might have that issue. Apparently, your issue is judgment, and we can work on that too. I'm just saying. But we're all on a journey in a certain direction, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to trust God that when he actually infects a life and touches a human soul, that he's going to do the changing, that he's going to change the behavior because they're going to do the right things for the right reasons. And we're not going to get all caught up in that kind of stuff. And I know for some people it's just like, nah, that seems messy. Yes, it's messy. You know, the religious guys just couldn't bring themselves to get involved in this guy's messy life. There was something inside of them that said, you must have done something to deserve that. You must have welcomed these robbers. You got involved in the wrong crowd. Now, you need to pay the price. They didn't want to get involved because it was too messy, too hard, too inconvenient. I'm so glad Jesus didn't look at me as an inconvenience. Fish book's too messy, too far gone, too broken. Got all this religious stuff wrapped up in his life. He's beyond salvage. I'm so glad Jesus didn't look at me that way. The story continues. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Compassion. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That's the equivalent of medicine in this culture. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. I love that Jesus said there was this Samaritan walking down. You know why that's important? Because the Pharisees in the room would have gone, oh, what? What? See, in the eyes of a Pharisee, the Samaritans were the ones who didn't get it. They were the secular, the irreligious, the lost, the broken, the messy, the beyond salvaged people who were just never going to quite get it. I love the fact that Jesus makes a regular person, one of the outsiders, the hero of the story, He's, he's just a regular person. He's not a professional. He's not a pastor. He's not a have-to person. He's a get-to person. And he just can't stand to walk around the side of a legitimate need. He's welcomed. He's just in that moment. He's welcoming God's divine interruption. He's a person who simply says, I've got a choice here. Here's my decision. I'm in. I'm in. 
What moves him? Compassion. Let's write that down. Compassion is the response that triggers action. It triggers action. God moves this man's heart to actually get involved. Instead of stepping around, he moves him to step in and meet the need that's right in front of him. Here's the reality. We all get moved from time to time. We see an image and it moves us. We hear a story. It moves us. Annie introduces a new song and it, and it moves us. But sometimes we get stuck there. Oh, I'm so moved. Here's my question. Did you do anything about it? Did you respond I mean, more than just being moved, this regular guy in the story acts on the movement of his heart. He goes to him, gets his hands dirty by by dealing with his wounds. He uses his own transportation and gets the man to safety. You're just like, I might have to use my own car. Yeah. He finds a place of shelter. He ensures the man's care. And here's a crazy thought. He picks up the tab. Like, this might actually cost me money. Mm Mm-hmm. It could. True compassion will cost you every single time. It'll cost you time, energy, money. It'll cost you a part of your soul every time you choose not to walk on the other side of the road. I thought this was so important. Pastor Rob Rogers from CTK Downtown, when we were brainstorming, he made a statement. It just stuck in my brain. Rob said, efficiency is the opposite of love. That's so true, isn't it? You can't microwave a relationship and make it happen instantly. You can't fast forward real love and care. To coin a phrase, no, you can't hurry love. No, you know what I'm talking about? Jesus continues, verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, here's the tragic outcome of this story for many of us. For so many of us, we are so familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan that we're just like, I already got it, Grant. I got it. Move on. Be the Good Samaritan. I get it. We're supposed to stop on the side of the road if somebody needs help with a tire. That's where we're supposed to be the people to do that. I totally get it. I understand it. If I see a need, meet it. That's what I'm supposed to do. I mean, get it, got it, good, right? Just be the Good Samaritan. That's the answer. Some of us grew up in Sunday school. We were learning that particularly. You know, we met in the basement of the church, and it smelled like the basement of all churches, like tuna and coffee, right? That's how it smells all the time. You know that, right? And there's a nice little old lady taught us a Sunday school class, and she had the flannel graph thing with the Good Samaritan, and all the heads were off, but they stuck them on there anyway. And that was spooky, but we just rolled with it because we were kids, right? And, and, we, and we just get it. I got it. I got it, Grant. Be the Good Samaritan. Move on. Are you sure that's the point? So in Bible college, my professor always used to say, every time Jesus tells a story, ask yourself the question, who are you in the story? Some of you are already doing the math. I know who I'm supposed to be in the story. I'm supposed to be the good Samaritan. Stop on the side of the road and help people. That's what I'm supposed to do. Are you sure? You're the good Samaritan. Well, I'm not the religious guys. I hope. That leaves the innkeeper, right? I'd like to get paid to care. That would be cool, right? If someone paid me to actually care about people. I don't know exactly where you're going with this whole grant. Please don't miss this. Why does Jesus' plea for compassion matter so much in this story? Let me tell you why. We're the man in the road. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Can I get a quiet amen from 930? 
Jesus is the good Samaritan. We're the man in the road. We're the one who got beat up by our own sin. We're the ones taken hostage by our own bad decisions. We got waylaid. We got the stuffing beat out of us. We ended up on the side of the road bleeding out. And some people walked by because we were just too messy for them to bother. It was such a mess. Some people even thought I was already so spiritually dead that I was a lost cause. But one day, a good Savior walked by. And praise God, didn't cross on the other side of the road where he could have if he wanted to. But instead, he stopped, got his hands dirty, and ultimately said, this is my body which is broken for you. And this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And I'm not going to ignore you, and I'm not going to pretend that you're not real. Instead, I'm going to get my hands dirty in the muck of your life. We can never, ever, ever forget when we're reaching out to people who are far from God, we can never, ever forget we're the man in the road. Because once you've been there, you can't help yourself. You have to give what you've been given. And anytime we forget that, we're in danger of slipping back towards religion. Because I'm the man in the road, I'm so struck by the question. So who's my neighbor? There's a good question. Who's my neighbor? I would answer it this way. My neighbor is anyone whose need I see and am prepared to meet. You're like, oh, Grant, that's a pretty broad box. It certainly is. I'm looking at the broad box of God's redemptive plan right in front of me. It's a beautiful thing. Let me say it again. My neighbor is anyone whose need I see and am prepared to meet. Yeah, yes, use wisdom. Yes, use discernment. Yes, don't perpetuate or enable. Yes to all of those questions, but at the same time, if, what, if, what if we just stopped for a second? We saw a need, and we actually developed the discipline to stop just for a second and say, Holy Spirit, are you trying to tell me something? Do you want me to do something with this need right in front of me? Sometimes the answer might be no, it just won't be wise. But I believe God keeps calling us. What if we could just slow down enough to be able to just stop for an instant and say, God, do you want me to do something? If you say yes, I'm in. But I'm not going to use indifference as a way of defaulting out. Are we going to have a religious response or a relational response? understanding we're all the man in the road so, like, so how do I make that go full circle Grant well it's, it kind of works like this if Jesus is the good Samaritan and we're the man in the road as that healing journey begins to take place we begin to be compelled to keep an eye out for other people that have been waylaid and are laying on the side of the road why because we want to introduce them to the good Samaritan why would we get involved because we want to be just like him because we want to act just like him. Because we want to talk just like him. Because we want to respond just like him. Once again this week, I'm reviewing a question from our core commitments. Because I'll tell you what, I, I read the core commitments that we've laid out for ownership. And I'm struck, I'm struck by two facts. Number one, they seem impossible. <laughs> 
Nobody can do all of them. It's just not right. And that's good because that means God's Holy Spirit's actually going to empower us to do that. But I'm also struck by the fact of this. All six of them really embody what it means to follow Jesus. Honestly, I just kind of like this whole ownership membership thing. I'm like, okay. But the embodiment of all six of those is what God asked his followers to do so that people could see that we were committed to him. And that we do live differently. So, here was the question. Am I consistently reaching out to people who are far from God? Am I in? Am I consistently reaching to people who are far from God? Have I made the decision that I'm going to be the hands and the feet of Jesus who goes to meet the needs of those who are far away from God? You've been hearing me reference these core commitments. We're going to continue to lay them out in the coming weeks. And then ultimately, you know it's coming at some point. We're going to ask you to step across the line. I made a joke about it last week, and it was just, it kind of made me laugh. But I'm going to invite those of you who've been visiting for the last decade (laughs) to actually step into the center of the core, not to go through an academic process, but to attach yourself to the cross of the greatest Samaritan (laughs) and be willing to look each other in the eye around here and say, I'm in. I'm in. Now, I want to be so careful as we walk through this, because I know there are times we're we're going to look at these six core commitments, and some people are going to go, I just, "Mm." I look at them honestly, regularly, on my very best day, five out of six, on my best day. (laughs) Worst day, maybe two. Welcome to being a human being, right? I want to be so careful because I don't want anyone to ever look at these six core commitments, these these six core ownership um, hearts. And somehow just disqualify ourselves. So I need you to hear me say this. As we continue to develop this week after week after week after week. I don't care where you are on your spiritual journey. I want to invite you to do something. Just keep coming along. I've followed from a distance for years. Just watching the dust of the rabbi way off there in the distance. Hanging out. Being a part continuing to slowly but surely find my healing in Jesus. No matter where you are on this journey towards Jesus, take a step. Take a step. Thank you to everybody who wrote me an email last week and said, here's my simple step. I'm going to try and show up more. I think that's amazing. God bless you. That's a big step for some people. I'm going to show up more. So whatever it is that God is asking you to do, listen to him. But I do want you to know, ultimately, we're going to start asking a question, which is for all of us to be able to look at these these core commitments and say, if I'm in process on all of them, knowing that everybody has a season in their life where it just, some things don't work. Okay? I talked with a couple last week. They said, Grant, you know, one of the core commitments that we can't meet, we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks, we just can't do the small group thing. I said, can you tell me why? It's like, we're looking after our aging parents. Well, I would say the fact that you're being obedient to the commandment to honor your father and mother, that would be a pretty big deal. And we want you to know the word is consistently, not perfectly. And we all have seasons in our life. The question is whether or not we're using the season as an excuse 
or whether we're using the season as an opportunity to serve and love people who may be far from God. So as we begin to walk through this over the next couple of weeks, I want to encourage you, no matter where you're at on the journey, deepen your faith, grow in its expression. If God calls you to own the mission of this little chapter of God's family, awesome, awesome. If you're still checking it out, I want you to hear me loud and clear. You belong here. I don't care where you are. You belong here. If you're breathing and have a pulse, you belong here. We just want you to be part of God's family. It's as simple as that. So we're going to take a moment and uh, I just want you to just absorb for a second. Let's take a moment and breathe and ask ourselves the question, when it comes to people who are far from God, where are you on that journey? Is your heart compelled to help? Can we be honest? Have you taken the religious way out because people are just too messy? Did you forget about the years, the days when you were the man in the road? Do you need to recapture that heart of compassion again? I'm looking at salt and light right now. The Bible says you are the salt of the earth. Which means you go out there and you create flavor. By being like Jesus. You're the light of the world. And if you were here last week... Everybody pulled out their cell phone and held up the light. It was a beautiful thing from my vantage point to see all that light because we learned something. In this much darkness, a little bit of light goes a really long way. So whatever it is that God is stirring up inside of you, listen to Him. Listen to Him. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that at the core of every church is a group of committed people who love Jesus more than anything, who love his family to the best of their ability and have a deep compassion and need to touch people who are far from God. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would receive that as an unbelievably important responsibility. God, we don't want to be indifferent. We don't want to turn a blind eye to people's need. God, we want to use wisdom. We want to use discernment. But Father, your love compelled you to get involved in the dirty and messy parts of our life. And in order to be like Jesus... I believe my Bible says I'm going to have to do the same. So God, would you give us grace, wisdom, and discernment to see a need and meet it. Father, may we see all of humanity as our neighbor. And God, for the needs that you put in front of us, may we be compelled by the compassion of the Good Samaritan. May we act like Jesus, be like Jesus, and be willing to pick up the tab in the same way that you paid our debt. 
So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this week. May we be like you. And may our world be changed because we're in it. We pray these things in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. All God's people said.